0: Welcome to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley, and last night the Orioles lost a ball game that was back and forth. A lot of home runs from both sides. Uh, they lost eight to five last night to drop their record to 13 and 23. David Hess, for the fifth time in seven starts, failed to make it past the fifth inning. In fact, he failed to make it past the fourth inning in last night's ball game, and raised his ERA to five and a half after allowing four walks with five strikeouts and two long home runs. Uh, to put the Orioles in an early deficit that they kept trying to claw back from, but never quite made it. Uh, Dwight Smith Jr., a couple more hits last night. He had snapped a five-game hitting streak the night before, but then last night started a new one, hitting 295 this year, so his batch really playing in the middle of that Orioles lineup. Evan Phillips, uh, not pitching particularly well lately. A lot of walks last night. He came in in the ninth inning with the Orioles just down by a run after a two-run rally in the eighth, and he negated that rally uh, walking two batters, hitting a batter, and allowing a base hit. Uh, the Orioles ended up losing 8-5. to five. They couldn't put together a rally in the ninth inning, and it probably made it that much more difficult since a one-run lead was taken to a three-run lead. Moving forward, the main thing I want to talk about in the first segment of our show before we have our guest on today is what's been going on in the media recently. As many of you know, the Orioles and the Nationals have been in a heated feud over the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, as many of us know them as Masson, uh, since 2012, actually, this feud has been going on. And basically, just to, just to kind of sum it up, Peter Angelos was the only owner that voted against the Expos coming to Washington to become the Nationals in 2005. And he threatened to sue the league because it was taking away a third of the Orioles market. So, in order to appease Peter Angelos, Uh, Major League Baseball allowed him to start the Middle Atlantic Sports Network and gave him the lion's share of ownership. 79% of Masson is owned by the Orioles, with just 21% owned by the Nationals. Well, since 2012, the Nationals have been taking the Orioles to court, trying to get more money out of the deal. The Orioles have been saying, we're not paying you. Nationals won the dispute, Orioles uh, appealed. The Orioles won the dispute. Na- the Nationals appealed, and more recently, actually just before this past weekend, the Nationals won the latest dispute, uh, and an arbiter, uh, arbitrator awarded $100 million to the Nationals from the Orioles, basically paying them $20 million a year over the last five years. Now, the, uh, the Orioles are, gonna, are going to have to appeal it. Uh, they're actually going to have to restate their final their financial results for those five years, uh, as reported by Jeff Barker for the Baltimore Sun. Uh, so it would probably be more like 60 to 70 million, but even still, that's a huge chunk of change that the Orioles got to, to pay the Nationals. And the Orioles are worried that it is an economically unsustainable 5% margin of profit for the for the network. ...if this is to be allowed to stand. So the Orioles are probably going to appeal this decision. Now, I'm no authority on the issue. I tried to get Jeff Barker, who wrote the article uh, last week, on, but he had a deadline to meet, so he couldn't make it on the show this week. We will try to get him on at some point to discuss this um, at greater length. But the thing I want to talk the most about is that following this decision, Bruce Cunningham had a show on Saturday on 105.7 The Fan, and he had his personal attorney, Benjamin Neal, on the program. And they were talking about this dispute... And Benjamin Neal had said that there is an anonymous bid from somebody uh, for the Orioles for $3 billion from somebody who wants to move the ball club to Las Vegas. And admittedly, I was one of the people that freaked out over this. Uh, I posted a couple tweets saying how this would be soul-crushing for me. And in fact, um, one of our writers and our senior editor, Derek Arnold, posted an article on Utah Street Report and quoted two of my tweets in there. Um, a lot of backlash, a lot of people calling people stupid and chastising them for thinking that the Orioles could ever move to Las Vegas. And I think that's completely wrong. Over the four major sports since 1966, 33 teams have relocated cities. You know that the Colts left Baltimore in the middle of the night and went to Indianapolis in the NFL. We know that the Nationals came here in 2005 from Montreal. The Boston, I'm I'm sorry, the uh, Atlanta Braves started in Boston, then went to Milwaukee, then went to Atlanta. The Athletics started in Kansas City, went to Philadelphia, and then went to Oakland. So this sort of thing is not heard of, and they only need 75% of the vote from owners to make this thing happen. That being said, the Orioles aren't a small market. They're a mid-market. They're smaller because of the Nationals. But one of the main reasons that the Orioles aren't going anywhere is because of that crown jewel that is Camden Yards. There is no way in hell that Major League Baseball is going to allow that ballpark to stay vacant. With that being said, there is no reason to chastise people for fearing this because it's happened before. It's happened in Baltimore, losing the Colts and gaining the Ravens, causing Cleveland to lose the Browns. People have a right to be afraid. Most fans, the average fan, doesn't know what it takes to relocate a professional sports team. I've heard other podcasts refer to fans as stupid, actually say, we all know fans are stupid. You were never going to hear a blanket statement like that on this program. Fans are not stupid. Fans just want to know. The the fans come from fanatics. People want to know what's going on. They're passionate about their sports team. And there's a lot of people, myself included, that if the Orioles ever left Baltimore, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. There's nothing wrong with having a knee-jerk reaction and being scared of this because somebody on a credible radio station came out and said that this was a thing that could happen. So... I apologize for my knee-jerk reaction, but I think that a lot of people probably had the same thing, and it's okay if you did because it's a scary prospect to think about losing your team. Still, I think that that lease will be uh, renewed between the Maryland Stadium Authority, Camden Yards, and the Baltimore Orioles. It runs out after 2021, but there's no way that the Orioles aren't going to be playing in Camden Yards. And even if they do leave, there's no way there's not going to be another team playing here. So, you know, it's okay. Orioles aren't going anywhere, but if you felt like they were... That's okay, too. All right? With that being said, I have a great guest who's coming on the show after we get a word from our sponsor. We're going to talk strictly Orioles baseball. No more of this Masson dispute. No more about reloading, relocating teams to Masson. Just going to talk baseball with the Baltimore Suns' John Mayoli. Really great guest coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL window tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410 941 2942. That's 410 941 2942. Welcome back to the payoff pitch on Fanimal Radio. And joining me today from the Baltimore Sun is John Mayoli. John, how are we doing today, man? I'm
1: well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, we're, we're pleased to have you, man. I consider you to be the cream of the crop when it comes to Orioles writers, so we're really excited to have you on the show today. Uh, Orioles, 13-23 uh, and 23 after that loss to the Red Sox last night. What are some of your observations on the ball club this year? They're four games ahead of last year's pace, which is good. Uh, what have you seen from this club so far this season?
1: It's been interesting, you know, whenever anybody asks me, I basically tell them, like, they're still not very good, but it's a little more fun. You know, last year's season, at this time, every lot time I lost in April and May, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a team that they might have been the only ones that thought it, but they thought they could really make the playoffs last year. They made a lot of moves towards that end, and it just collapsed before they could even really get started. This year, there's no such expectations. There's players who are, you know, in different positions in their career and a little more willing to roll with the season like this, a little more willing to deal with these losses. And you know, it, it, it's, it just feels like there's a little more energy, there's a little more excitement, even with those losses. And I think that's what stood out to me, having dealt with pretty similar circumstances last year.
0: Right. And speaking of last year, you wrote a lengthy article that was basically about the pulse of the locker room during those losing months. And it kind of gave a sense of a downtrodden atmosphere in the locker room, for lack of a better term. Uh, what do you see from the Orioles' locker room this year that differs, at, if it differs at all, from last year? Well, I think it all
1: comes down, and i talked a lot, actually, to, uh, during the offseason spring training, talked to Mark Trumbo about this a lot. It just comes down to expectations. When, when the expectation is that every loss is a crushing one, then every loss is a crushing one. And when the expectation is that, you know, if you're – in your first, second, third year in the big leagues and you're part of a team and the team's mandate is to try you go out there and, you know, give as sincere an effort as they can and, you know, just let it ride. If that's good enough for a win that night, that's good. If not, then, you know, you show up the next day. I think they're really a lot more willing to just kind of let a loss sit on the day that it happened. They're not going to show up today on Wednesday acting like and feeling like they lost on Tuesday. They're just showing up for a game, just like they have to do every day. And I think that's the biggest difference. You know, they're not, they're not saddled with the fact that you know last year's team left spring training, having signed Alex Cobb, having signed Andrew Kashner, having re-signed Chris Tillman, for whatever that meant, with all these guys who are about to leave, and knowing they had to make one last run at a playoff spot. They, they, they have no such expectations. They have no such ambitions on a larger level, other than for all these guys to just get better every single day. And I think that's the main difference.
0: Well, and I think that it can't be understated that the Orioles have one of the yo- youngest rosters in baseball right now. And you can't tell kids that what, what they can and cannot do. These, these guys go out there every night, and they may not expect to win a ton of ballgames, but they're not going to go out there and, and just accept losing. Uh, and with that in mind... There's a couple other young guys that could be coming up to the Orioles in the near or not-too-distant future, for, for a better term there. Uh, and you wrote an article about possible call-ups for the Orioles. Uh, we saw with, uh, you know, Austin Hayes, Yosniel Diaz, Chance Sisko, Ryan Mountcastle all getting sent down in spring, after having fairly decent spring trainings, that the new regime in Mike Elias and Sigma Dell, Brandon Hyde, they don't necessarily care about results during spring training, they want to see what they can do at the minor league level for an extended period. With that in mind and in the, in, with the rebuild in full swing, is it expected that those guys can be called up this year, guys like Mount Castle, guys like Keegan Aiken, or should we expect them to stay at the minor leagues for an extended period?
1: That's something that I've been trying to figure out. You know, I went back and looked at a lot of the what, what you would expect to be you know, precedents from the Astros with Michael Elias and St. Middell coming from over there. And it's really hard to say. I think that guys who are on the roster at this point, you know, your your Austin Hayes, your Chance Sisko's, Cedric Mullins once he gets back. I think those guys are going to be the first ones you see. The the moves the Orioles have had to make in terms of adding players to the forty man roster this year, you know, they've they've added Mark Wallers, Matt Wotherspoon, I can't, I can never figure you. <laughs> they added one of the, whichever Matter Mark Watherspoon it was, they added Josh Lucas, you know, and those were guys that were just as quickly off the roster as they're on it. I don't think that they're going to be, you know, adding a Ryan Mountcastle and starting his service time clock, adding a Yusneel Diaz and starting their service time clock until they really feel a need to. You know, Austin Hayes is going to use his second minor league option this year. He's already used it once he comes off the disabled list or injured list. And granted, he'll probably get an extra one just because of when he was added. But, you know, this is all stuff that matters for an organization that's looking three, four years down the road. Now, if guys are just tearing it up in AAA, I think they'll force the issue. But people have only done that for a week and a month at a time now. And until then, it's hard to say exactly when those things are going to happen.
0: Right. And I would expect somebody like Ryan Mountcastle to stay down at the, at the minor league level longer simply because of the fact that they're transi- transitioning him to a new position. They want to figure out a position for the guy instead of just having him be a universal DH. And that alone ha- is going to have growing pains. So the defense may not be major league ready while the bat is. So he could stay down there longer. I would tend to agree with you.
1: Man, I mean, I, didn't, I haven't seen him or talked to anyone who's been down to Norfolk this year, but when I was looking at his stats for that piece I did on Monday, like, he already has five errors. And if you're playing first base and you have five errors, Like, I, I don't know what that means, but... That's kind of a red flag. All you got to do is really, like, catch the ball when it's thrown to you at that position, so.
0: Right, right. So, th- and that was always his uh, M.O. when he was playing over at third base was that he had the arm, but the, the, the glove was lacking. So, probably stay down there for the majority of the season, I would imagine. Just like Keegan Aiken, he might be the next arm that you would think to call on, but he spent a full season at every minor league level. Do you see him coming up at any point this year? Do you think that's somebody that they'll save for September or maybe next spring?
1: He could be that could end up being a, a September a September later season thing. I think it was really interesting that he didn't get brought over to major league camp as a non roster invite this year. No. The, the starting pitcher who was in that was Dean Kramer, who was also you know pretty successful last year at AA Bowie. He ended up getting hurt in spring training. I think he's pretty close to making his debut uh, for Bowie coming back up. But it was it was pretty interesting to see that someone like Keegan Aiken, who had the success that he did didn't get that chance and is just going to be, you know, a guy who, honestly, when he comes up, there's not going to be a lot of familiarity with him. So that's something that you wonder if the different, there's a different view of him from the new front office versus the old one.
0: Right. And, you know, Keegan Aiken, big left-handed starter, big numbers, was the Orioles' co-minor league pitcher of the year last year, along with Zach Louther. Uh, you wrote an article about Dallas Keuchel being a blueprint for O's, for O's lefties in the minors. Uh, But as you tweeted the other day, you didn't have John Means on that list in that article. You didn't even have him in your top prospects. And he's kind of come on like a lightning rod here recently. Uh, How do you feel about John Means? Do you feel he has staying power, or do you think he needs to have more than just that that dominating changeup?
1: Well, I, 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 how do I feel about him? Like, I'm really happy for him. I'm, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of scouts over the years, and some of them have talked to me about how they've sat together at John Means' starts, and I think it was Norfolk last year, just being like, you know, this is a guy who you want it, you want it to work out for, but like it's just not. He's like one step below where he needs to be. He was a guy who's throwing like, you know, high 80s, topping out at 90 miles an hour from the left side without really a put away pitch. He goes away. He gets stronger. He adds some velocity. His changeup comes you know, takes a huge leap, becomes a legitimate major league out pitch, and all of a sudden you have the guy that he is right now. So kudos to him for looking at what he was and looking at what he was doing and what it was going to take for him to get to that level he wanted to get to and actually doing it. You know, people feel that way. I wrote about all those lefties because anyone around baseball, you know, that's what – it's. instead of evaluating, and for better or worse, instead of evaluating on their merits, you know, every single guy – People who evaluate, you know, for a living will see a guy like John Means, a guy like Keegan Aiken, although there's a little more velocity there, a guy like Zach Louther, a guy like Alex Wells, and they're like oh pitchability lefty. Like he's gotta do it at every level. He's gotta show that he can get guys out in the big leagues before anyone will think he does. And that's just how it works. So he kinda overcame that. Now does it is there the staying power? I think there was a good pretty good indication of what he's going to do to try to stay. In that start against the Red Sox, he mentioned after he's pitched against Chicago last week that, you know, a team that had already seen him once and who he pitched really well against wasn't offering at all at his change up like, in the lower half. They basically knew if it looked like a changeup, if it wasn't, you know, he's throwing the high fastball, and if the ball was looking low, it was going to be a changeup, and they just weren't going to swing. They didn't swing at all at it. So what he came back and did was throw a lot more breaking balls, just kind of mix it up. Now, he was a breaking ball guy as his primary, secondary pitch in the minors, didn't, work out nearly as well as it did did, as it has with him throwing a changeup more often but it's just something else for hitters to think about it's something else for him to do that can keep them off balance I think that's the next step teams are starting to make the adjustment they know that he's going to throw the fastball up and he's going to try to get them changeups now it's what he does to kind of combat
0: that right and any good team is going to make adjustments to a young pitcher once they have tape on him and it's nice to see that he, in turn, is making his adjustments to adjust to their adjustments, if that makes sense. Um, so, in that in that article, you said uh, you talked about Alex Wells. Nobody talks about Alex Wells anymore. This is a young kid out of Australia. Had yeah, I think he walked nineteen hitters over two seasons at one point. Uh, last year, the walk numbers were up, but he pitched to a two three eight ERA in his la- over his last eight starts. To get his uh, earned run average below three and a half. I talked to a scout last week who wasn't as high on Alex Wells as you know maybe I was or maybe other people are. Um, what do you see from Alex Wells? Is that somebody who we can consider to be a legitimate rotation uh, candidate in the, in the future or somebody who's more likely headed for the bullpen?
1: Well, like, like, it's, it's kind of do- dovetailing what I said before. Those guys who don't have the premium velocity, who know how to manipulate the baseball, who know how to command it, there's their success is almost, it has to be earned. You know, someone like, and hopefully, you know, I guess we could use Hunter Harvey as an example of this. Hunter Harvey hasn't had nearly the professional success that Alex Wells has. They're both in the buoy rotation right now. Wells is a few years younger, obviously. They're both, you know, in the same rotation, dealing with the same challenges. And because Hunter Harvey was, you know, is a big, you know, Athletic looking right hander who throws 95 96 with a hammer breaking ball, he doesn't have to have success. He could just be Hunter Harvey, and like everyone will just like project out how good he's going to be based on those things. With someone like Alex Wells, who doesn't have the premium velocity, I know scouts who just absolutely love him. He doesn't have, you know, they you're projecting out that the pitches are going to get better and that the success will continue to happen basically outside of. Outside of the norm for that profile, so I think that's the difference. You know, all of those guys, and John Means was in this bucket too, even if I didn't list him in that article, and you know, kick myself for it to some extent. I mean, the John Means that is pitching now was not that John Means. If, if, if nobody if saw it's him miss if it was that guy, not necessarily the guy that he was, but those guys just have to do it. So someone like Alex Wells, who is, I believe, he's off to a pretty good start at Bowie since he, since he started the season there after coming off the minor league injured list, I think that that's all you need to see. You just need to see him getting better. He needs to be near perfect with the stuff he has, but he's capable of doing that. He's shown that at the level he's at, he's been capable of being that, that successful. So I think that's, again, one of those guys who's going to have to do it at every level. It's unfair, but that's just kind of how it works. Right, and
0: it is good to see the, the, the Orioles have these young pitchers in their system, uh, mainly at Dalmarva, some at Frederick, some at Bowie, and you know Keegan Aiken at the AAA level who are pitching well, and they're doing what the Houston Astros minor league organization did last year. They're striking out over 10 batters a game, which is huge for this ball club moving forward for the, for the future, for this rebuild. And you have to think that there's an eye on the analytics now, that they're, that they're instilling some things that weren't here in the past that are making these guys pitch better. You tend to be more on the analytical side of things. Have you always been that way, or is that something that you kind of had to adapt to with the movement of baseball as a whole?
1: Um, I actually started, like, writing about baseball for a, for a minor league website that uh, covered the Red Sox system, so I was a lot, I was focused a lot on, like, you know, the scouting stuff, going to games, but it really just seemed like a niche once I started covering the Orioles that wasn't really addressed that much in, the, in like, on the team's beat, so I thought that would be a good way to kind of, like, introduce myself, to, for lack of a better word, but it's, it just seems like, you know... There's only so many ways to write about the game that everybody watches on television every single night. There's only so many ways to, to spin the, uh, the the pregame quotes that are blasted out on Masson and, you know, put on every, put on every you know website and I guess we're the only newspaper, but every website that covers the team and every every, you know, every outlet is going to be doing that. So I think it's really. You know, I just thought it was a way to, you know, give a different perspective and it's worked out pretty well because now that's how, you know, the game is going. This is what's going to be driving a mix of like, you know, scouting and player development and analytics, all these things that got me back into baseball for lack of a better term after I kind of drifted as a young person. That's all what's going on here. So it's kind of fun
0: right and I know for me I kind of I always say it on this show I had that John Smoles approach to baseball where I'm old school and I want to see batting average on base percentage home runs RBI so I'm trying to get more onto the analytical side and the sabermetrician side of baseball but it's been difficult for me so it's nice to see that somebody else who's working in the field that I'm trying to work in uh kind of came up and you know learned learned along the way as well so that's good to see um You also wrote an article the other day about how the bullpen earned rare acclaim. I think you said that they went 28 in the third innings without allowing a home run before Brandon Klein allowed a home run last night. Um, Evan Phillips has struggled recently. Miguel Castro has struggled recently. Klein also has struggled recently. What are you seeing from the bullpen, and is there – do you see improvement? Because they, they had gone a little bit without allowing a home run, or do you think it's going to have to be somebody else that they're going to have to call up? I already used 20 relievers out of that bullpen this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that group that was – that they kind of – after Tanner Scott and, you know, Jimmy Iacobonis had been option. I think that group, granted, they were put in really good situations. The Orioles got some longer starts. Everyone was rested. You know, they weren't playing, you know, the big home run type teams that they have been playing in the Yankees and the Twins and the A's and the Red Sox. It's just really, um, you know, I think that the personnel that's there is going to be the ones that end up there. I just found it interesting, especially last night, and Nathan Ruiz, uh, my colleague, wrote about it, like, Nights like last night, you know, where you're talking about Evan Phillips and Miguel Castro, they were also responsible for some of the for the walk-off loss to the White Sox on Wednesday. The fact that there are people who are pitching well in this bullpen, you look at Paul Fry, you look at Gabriel Inouye, Jeffrey Ramirez, Michael Givens now is pitching well. The fact that there are people who are pitching well and there are some who aren't mean that it's an opportunity to almost analyze, not so much the players, because the players are going to be inconsistent they're young relievers that's just going to happen but it's an opportunity to more analyze like what how Brandon Hyde's doing you know how his in-game managing style is going to jive with you know okay you know yesterday he said that Brandon Klein came in for the fifth inning because he was already warmed up like that's a perfectly legitimate reason he said Evan Phillips pitched a ninth even though Gabriel and had used 36 37 pitches in three innings because he hadn't pitched in five days that maybe not I mean this is still a one-run game at that point. And that's the type of thing that, you know, that's almost like a spring training mentality. I don't know. So it was, it's more interesting, not so much the guys. I mean, you're going to cycle out a AAA reliever for a, a guy who's not doing well in the big leagues, and you're going to have, you know, a good AAA. You're, gonna, you're just going to swap out a good AAA reliever and a guy who's not doing well in the big leagues. They're going to just flip, flip roles. They're going to go down to AAA, and they're going to do well, and they're going to come up here, and they're going to have two good outings and one really bad one. Like, that's just how it's going to work. But I think it's more interesting to see how it's developed and how they are deployed more so than the actual guys themselves.
0: And it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback when you look at Enoa last night, and he's pitching to that .79 ERA since he's come up to the big league club. I mean, he's pitching well until he's not, right? So he goes those three innings last night. He throws, you said, somewhere between 36 and 40 pitches. It's easy to sit here the day after and be like, oh, well, you should have left him in. But that's not how baseball works, so... You know, for a hide to go out there and get him, you know, that's something that he felt could work. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Last night it, it didn't work out. You know, Evan Phillips wasn't anywhere near the strike zone. So, um, you did happen to mention that the bullpen was pitching better because starters were getting longer starts. Uh, had the opposite of that yesterday. David Hess, he's now down to one and four with a five and a half ERA. Five of his seven starts, he's gone five innings or less. He's allowed 10 home runs in just over 34 innings. Is this a guy who's long to stay in this rotation? He did go. He did pitch to a three eight eight ERA last year over his last 10 starts. We hoped it would continue this year, and we're not seeing that from him this year, save for that first start.
1: Yeah, it, it, it seems like he's in the position of, you know, and it's kind of what he was even when he came up last year. He's a guy who's got a good fastball. He doesn't have perfect command, and he doesn't have that one pitch that he's going to just rely on, you know, the way that John Means has his changeup now, the way that Dylan Bundy used his slider for so long once he finally started throwing it again, the way Kevin Gossman's splitter was when he he was, you know, trying to make that next step. At times David Hess's slider has been that, his breaking ball has been that. He's uses kind of a split change type thing the way Alex Cobb does. But he doesn't really have that one pitch that he knows he could locate, you know, that he knows he could bury with two strikes that he knows is going to be his out pitch. And guys who don't have that run into trouble because that's how those long at bats happen you know he threw 90 something pitches in 4 innings yesterday those long at bats happen because because there's not that one put away pitch and that's kind of where he's at right now now is that something that can you learn a big league put away pitch at triple a maybe do you learn how to put away big league hitters at triple a not really like that's something that that's something that he's had basically a year to do now on the fly. And I think that's really, you know, I think the Orioles are in a better position to accommodate that now than they were last year, but I'm not really sure how long that leash will be. Now, is this a situation where you talk about Gabriel O, you talk about Jeffrey Ramirez. Those are really the guys over the guys in Triple A who would be the rotation candidates if you weren't going to go with him, but how much better, like I said, when you're swapping, you know, a good Triple A reliever for, you know, an inconsistent Major League reliever, are you going to get the same types of performances out of those guys, which is David Hess behind them in the bullpen? So it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a balancing
0: situation there. Right, and you speak of Gabriel, you know, maybe using him in a starting role. You really would hate to rob Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, to get him into the rotation. That would mean that you have to put Hess into the bullpen. And you know has been so strong out of that bullpen, I would really hate to see them change his role out of necessity more than anything else because he's doing the job that he needs to do. And Brendan Hyde even said last night that this is a guy who's starting to pitch himself in the high leverage situations. So I don't, I, how, do, how do you feel about that? I, I can't imagine that they would want to put him in a starting role since he's doing so well out of the bullpen.
1: Yeah, I think that was, I think that was the direction they're more talking about going to, but I think he's just the type of player who, who, you know, he has a really, really good breaking ball. He always has, but I think that, you talk about him, I keep putting him in the same category, but Jeffrey Ramirez, really good changeup. These guys with the, you know, it's okay now to be just a two-pitch guy. you need a third pitch? Yeah, kind of, but you're not going to be shamed for throwing your best breaking ball a lot in, in this new Orioles way. In, in, as opposed, it's not going to be, oh, Gabriel Noah needs a better changeup. It's, oh, he has a good slider. So, like, just use that. And I think that's the type of thing that, to kind of go back to David Heston, he needs to find that pitch. So whether Gabriel Noah can do this two times through a lineup, three times through a lineup, versus as well as he does it once, that's like one of those things. You're basically taking away something, a strength, for a question mark, and that's something that they'll have to address, I suppose, going forward.
0: Right, right. Well, hey, John, we really appreciate you coming on the show today, man. I, I'm sure you have to get down to the ballpark for the for tonight's game pretty soon here. Yeah, no,
1: I'm I'm just I'm just glad I'm, my cat's been running around for like the whole time. I'm just glad he didn't climb on me. He used the litter box. He uh. He's been like clawing at the window. I'm just glad he didn't climb like across the screen and create like an internet moment. So oh,
0: no worries. He he did that before we came on while you were fixing the lighting. So that we I think he got that out of the way. So you got, John, you got his great uh, you got his stage time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So hey, John, great stuff, man. Thanks for coming on. Hope to talk to you again soon. All right.
1: Hey, appreciate it. Talk soon. Absolutely.
0: And that's gonna do it for us here on the Payoff Pitch, presented by DNL Window Tinting on Phantom Radio. I'm Paul Valley. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next week.